Support for Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome to Health Matters. I am your host and legendary radio health evangelist, Dr. Tony Weaver. This is a follow-up to our 2020 A New Hope show. I started thinking about, well, what would come next if we, say, copied the Star Wars trilogy? Because we like to copy successful things. And we entitled this show, 2020, The Rise of Irving. The Rise of Irving. It is indeed a dark time in the studio. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I have identified almost immediately why you will never be a superhero, Shelley, because the rise of Irving does just not inspire the level of confidence that, say, the rise of Skywalker uh, does. Yeah, it's a, no. uh, Irving is just not the name of a superhero, and I'm no. sorry. It's, nope, it's, it's not. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Super villain, maybe? Maybe? <laughs> Thanks to our friends at the uh, True Talk Internet Radio and a special radio wave to those hardworking folks at the MSU Ronald G. Eaglin Space Science Center. With me to celebrate the rise of Irving from the University of Kentucky, assistant professor with the Physician Assistant Program, Shelley Irving. Hi, Shelley. Hello. And also, notably not rising in this program from the University of Kentucky Executive Director of Networking and Infrastructure, to explain to you. How to access Health Matters on the Wild World of Web, Rick Phillips. Hey, Rick. Hey, Tony. You know you can get the audio of the show. We say it week after week after week. You can get the audio of the show at WMKY.org. That's right. Morehead State Public Radio's public website. Go there, find Health Matters, look at the list of shows, read the little summaries because, you know, it gives Tony does put a little bit of work into to making those. So, you know, let's show him a little bit of gratitude. But most importantly, click the link, listen to the show over and over. Maybe you heard part of the show. Maybe you love the show so much you want to hear it six times. We really don't care. The link's there for you. Use it as much or as little as you want. Send it to a friend. It's the audio of the show. After that, and you've become tired of one-way communication, and you decide it's time to add that second way, go to facebook.com slash hmradioshow, and there you will find a fan page to the legendary Dr. Tony Weaver. And we can... Talk all you want about topics for Health Matters, kinds of ways to interact with the the cast and the crew of Health Matters. You can find that at facebook.com slash hmradioshow. And one more introduction. We have uh, a medical student who's been working with me over the past month uh, from Tyner. I got that right. And everyone, I think, knows uh, it was it's not downtown Tyner, though. It is the Tyner suburbs. Is that right, Ben? Uh, it's not the middle of nowhere, but you can see it from there. Okay. So uh, Ben Taylor is, uh, uh, is joining us uh, from uh, Tyner, Kentucky. And, again, he's part of the Rural Physician Leadership Program, a campus of the University of Kentucky College of Medicine based in Moorhead and getting his education there. Ben intends to go into rural medicine, a very, very desperately needed field uh, of practice, and we are glad to have him aboard. Welcome aboard, Ben. Thanks for having me. Our sponsor is the Heart Attack Symptoms. We do this about, I would guess, probably about every five years. Uh, There is a survey about people's knowledge of heart attack symptoms. This is one of those things that is as serious as a heart attack. We need to make sure, in fact, that you know the symptoms of heart attack. It turns out, according to the uh, AMA Journal, they have uh, what they call a network open, which is where you publish things electronically rather than putting them in the magazine. Many, this is the the, uh, caption of this, many U.S. adults unaware of basic heart attack symptoms. 
the investigators uh, in this case, they surveyed more than 25,000 Americans from a variety of sociodemographic uh, subgroups, uh, a nationally representative sample. That is, they tried to include urban and rural. Uh, they included various ethnic groups uh, in proportion and so forth. They got 25,000 and changed people. They then asked them, which of the following would you say are symptoms that someone may be having a heart attack? Now, I'm not sure how they set this up. They, at any rate, sorry, there were five different sets of symptoms, and they just asked, uh, what would you say, is this a symptom of having a heart attack or not? Those symptoms, chest pain or discomfort, heart attack or not. Ben, you're going to medical school. What do you think? Chest pain or discomfort, heart attack or not? I would say chest pain. Yeah. Chest pain, as a matter of fact, and the, the respondents, 92% of them thought chest pain might be a sign of a heart attack. Now, it you begs think? A, it begs a question. There's Which one of us wants to play people. Captain Obvious? <laughs> 8% of the people out there are saying, well, I don't know about that chest pain thing. I'm not but sure boy, I right. sure am uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, now, wait a minute. Women may not have the tra- traditional chest pain. Well, Yeah, and, Tony, you take that up with her. Okay. Uh, we've You know, in this show, we both have presented the fact that women may have different symptoms. But, Shelly, you may remember as well, uh, a yeah. second survey said, no, that's pretty much the same. Uh, and so I am on the fence on that. I think, though, male or female, rather than the figuring out, well, since I'm a woman, it's probably not chest pain. Shelly's not going to argue for that. So we'll, we'll no. assume if you have chest pain, uh, you should go to the emergency room. Now, what kind of chest pain? Well, the typical chest pain is the elephant sitting on the chest, a pressure, a heavy feeling in the chest. Uh, you feel kind of queasy, nauseated. You get sweaty, those type of things. But frankly, my rule of thumb when I'm talking to patients is anything between your neck and navel you don't understand. If this is a symptom you've not had before, if you are in the heart attack or the high-risk group, you're in your 50s and 60s, you've been on this planet for over half a century. You've had many feelings. You've had the wind knocked out of you. You've had your heart broken. You've had uh, to crawl on your stomach. You may have been had to escape some uh, uh, death or whatever. Well, If there is something that happens to you in the chestular area that has not happened in the past 50 years, you should get that checked out. Now, the reason for this and the reason we emphasize these symptoms as opposed to gallbladder symptoms or symptoms of a kidney stone is that 2% of the time people just die. And that is not a good outcome uh, unless you're uh, getting an inheritance. So the point is, if you care about somebody, you don't want them to die, and they could suddenly die if they ignore chest pain. So chest pain, 92% of the people said that's one of them. Shortness of breath turns out to be the second one, uh, second most common. And this is the thing where you feel short of breath while you're at rest, or doing something you do every day makes you suddenly more short of breath than it ever has before. Uh, the third one, uh, and by the way, shortness of breath was uh, 85.7, I'm sorry, 87% of them. So 13% of people did not know that sudden shortness of breath or increased shortness of breath might be a symptom of a heart attack. The third one, pain or discomfort in the arm or shoulder. Your nervous system cannot figure out where your heart is. You do not have, it's not like your thumb, where if uh, someone sticks a pin in your heart, you go, ouch. It's not that kind of nerve, and so your body just kind of interprets it, and sometimes it thinks that that pain is coming from the left arm or the shoulder commonly. And that one we got down to 85.7%. Now, those are not the top numbers, but I'm figuring some of the people are goofing off in the survey. That's what I think. You know? They're just not paying attention? I, I think they're, or they're just, they're being smart, Alex. I, I've been around smart Alex most of my life, Rick. And so, you know, some people would just say no 
Does chest pain a symptom of a heart attack? Why, no. You know, Rick would have said that. He would have been one of those uh, 8% of people who said, no, chest pain, I don't think so. Just to be argumentative. No, I wouldn't have. No, I I wouldn't have went to the doctor in the first place, right? I'd be the guy you'd get from your house. Not that Rick is argumentative. The the, the coroner shows up, up, not the ambulance. I'm the guy who sits at home and dumb and doesn't call anybody. All right. Can we Uh, agree on that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, And the other thing that's kind of interesting is, uh, along with Shelly's idea that the symptoms are different in women, most of the time the woman has a whole bunch of things she needs to do before she goes to the emergency room. And that is, in, in studies after study, the most That's common the di- reason discomfort for the husband right the, the <laughs> men i think the men are too stupid to go to the emergency room the women have too much We're to too do yeah and, and yeah. in fact that's the number one reason why a woman delays going to the emergency room is they have to take care of the dog they have to to wait uh, till put, the wait till that's out of the oven yeah or the kids uh, uh, are coming home and they need to make sure they're taken care of and so for whatever reason people die from heart attacks when they shouldn't uh, number four, feeling weak, lightheaded, or faint. Now, I, I got to tell you, I know that's a symptom of a heart attack. I would not have put that. I, I would. I think I'll be surprised if somebody just came up to me and asked, said, "I feel lightheaded. Do you think I'm having a heart attack?" There's one I would have said no. I, I, chest pain, yes. Shortness of breath, yes. Pain in the uh, arms or shoulders, yes. Lightheadedness. No. And it's maybe. Str- yeah, maybe. I mean, it certainly can. It's about 77% of people thought that sorry, that uh, feeling lightheaded or faint was a sign of heart attack. And then finally, jaw, neck, or back pain was down to 62%. Now, being a physician, we're, we're always taught that a pain in the jaw, you have to think about that. And once again, being your body, your brain misinterpreting uh, what's hurting it, and it just interprets that heart pain right up into the jaw. That's 62%. Only uh, 53% got all five of them. I don't think I would have got all five, being honest. Uh, and uh, about uh, 20% were unaware, that's 80% were aware, but 20% were unaware of the three most common, that is chest pain, shortness of breath, uh, and pain in the arm uh, or in the shoulder. Um, and so that is our sponsor. We're talking about myocardial infarction or chest pain or heart attack symptoms uh, and being aware of those, that there is a high risk. If you have those symptoms, you must get yourself to medical care immediately. We will take this very seriously when you come to the emergency room. No matter what the wait time they put on the, the billboard sign, if you go to an emergency room complaining of chest pain, you're probably going to get their full attention and probably going to get it pretty fast. Now, we've got about three minutes left. And I apologize for talking away the first fractional portion, but that's my job. You are legendary. Yes. I am, in fact, the second greatest (laughs) radio health evangelist in eastern Rowan County. He's so legendary. I'm surprised he even allows us to come onto the show with him. Well, it's, you know... We're the fan club, I think. I'm, I, I am, well, I'm, he knows that and it's not true Right, I'm, I'm sending emails, even as we speak, to try to get that uh, minor problem corrected and get you guys off the they show. They tried lowering my pay, Tony. That <laughs> won't work. I wanted to take, now that we're down to two minutes and a half, I wanted to take a minute and, and just a couple of questions for Ben because Ben's a very quiet guy. He's not going to say anything unless I ask him some questions. So, Ben, lean into the microphone. Tell them why it is that uh, you decided to become a doctor. When did this uh, first start? About halfway through college, I think I went back uh, in 2013 or at the beginning of 2012. I was kind of like unsure what I wanted to do. I went to college. I started a degree in biology. I wasn't really sure about like medicine about until about halfway through college when um, my um, advisor t- told me to start looking into it. I know you worked some. Did you take time off from your education to do that, or did you work in your spare time? When I graduated from high school, um, I was actually a furniture maker apprentice for several years. Um, I took a couple of years off 
family was like kind of having some health issues then and um, when I went back to um, school I was kind of like just wanting to do something a little bit different um, something that I felt like really mattered later on. Was the furniture making was that to uh, kind of to tread water while you the family issues got straightened out or did you consider a career in uh, furniture making? I considered a career in furniture making it was just something I'd always like really like experienced growing up and it was just it's something that felt natural at the time. Now usually you think of a person who's really good with his hands is going to wind up being a surgeon. Did did that factor in? I, I know you, you're talking now about family medicine and that's uh, that's the way you're going to get back to Tyner but did you thought about being a surgeon? It never actually crossed my mind <laughs> once. The, the surgical personality, I, I think, you know, people think, well, if you're good with your hands, you should be a surgeon. Actually, there's a certain personality, and that sort of overwhelms how good or how not good you are with your hands. If you are that kind of person, a very regimented, disciplined uh, person, kind of a military sort of uh, uh, personality, uh, and uh, very much uh, you, you, you obey orders, you do things exactly as, as you were told, uh, those are the kind of people who love to be surgeons. Uh, kind of irrespective of that, uh, uh, of like I said, of uh, what you've uh, been cutting on or uh, uh, joining together uh, before you come to medical school. We're going to talk more with Ben, but we're also going to talk about some other things in our second fractional portion. You're listening to Health Matters on Moorhead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back. This is the second fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Shelley Irving. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver. This, in fact, is the Rise of Irving show. This is, again, our sequel to last week, which was 2020 A New Hope. And also on the show from the University of Kentucky Rural Physician Leadership Program. I say that right? Rural Physician Leadership Program, yes. Third-year medical student, Ben Trailer. Hi, Ben. Hey. Uh, our sponsor for the second time, Heart Attack Symptoms. Just reminding you. Uh, they surveyed 25,000 people uh, and published this in the AMA Journal, these investigators, and they had these five symptoms of a heart attack, which we feel you should know. Uh, chest pain or discomfort, that is the number one symptom of a heart attack and occurs more frequently than any other symptom. And if you have, again, a heavy feeling, an uncomfortable feeling in your chest, you should get yourself to the emergency room, not when the after the kids come home, not after you feed the dog, not after you call everyone in the neighborhood to see what they would do with that symptom. In fact, this is time for you to make an executive decision. I have a chest symptom I've not had before. I should get that checked out. Go to the emergency room. I promise you they will not laugh at you if you go. The second most common symptom of a heart attack is shortness of breath. And again, we are still uh, 87% of people uh, recognize that as a symptom of heart attack. A sudden onset of shortness of breath, a shortness of breath where doing your the things that you usually do uh, becomes very uncomfortable because you have difficulty breathing. That's not normal. You should get that checked out. The third symptom they mean, pain in, or discomfort in the arm or shoulder, also considered a fairly common sign of a heart attack. And again, if you just threw nine innings, uh, no-hitter baseball, your arm's going to be sore. If you are a left-hander and you threw that, your left arm is going to be sore. But if you didn't really do anything and your left arm and shoulder suddenly gets sore, that's when we start worrying that you might be having a heart attack. 
85.7% of the 25,000 people knew that. What if you just get older and your shoulder starts to hurt? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? and this is why so many people go to the emergency room and why we do so much testing is because you were right, Rick. I mean, as you get older, these pains uh, come up uh, a lot of times. Can, can we back that up and have him say that again? He said I was right. Didn't you hear him? He said it right on the air. No, I don't think I did, actually. I, I don't remember I, that at all. I really you, think we should Shelley, play that Do you back. remember that? I, I don't think so. Ben, you were here. Was I, did I ever say Rick was right? Uh, considering you control my grade, I'm going to naturally <laughs> side with you. All right. So I think we're pretty much uh, united, Rick, that I, didn't, I don't know where you got that idea. As you get older, you're going to get more aches and pains, but you're also at higher risk for having a heart attack. I'll say again, it's almost like if, if you get a symptom that you've not had before, this is something new. This is something different. And it's at what we call a visceral, sort of like a stomachache. It's not a sharp pinprick. It is a, a feeling that wells up in you like a stomachache, except it's up in your chest or it's in your jaw or in your arm. Those are the things you worry about. The fourth one, feeling weak, lightheaded, or faint. And again, uh, I think we've all had that type of symptom if we stand up suddenly, if we've not been uh, drinking enough fluids, maybe we've been sick uh, and not eating well or things like that. But uh, if you feel that you are about to pass out and there's no real reason for you to do that, that is a sign of a heart attack. 77% of people knew that. And then finally, jaw, neck, or back pain. Back pain stuff, we're talking about really high back pain, not pain down in the lower part of the back. But the jaw or neck, uh, if again, if you have without any provocation. If you get hit in the jaw and your jaw hurts, you got hit in the jaw. But if you have jaw pain and you didn't get hit in the jaw, 62% of people recognize that as a symptom of heart attack. If you come into the emergency room and you said, I don't know, I was just sitting there and I had a pain well up in my jaw and it uh, felt uh, almost like a, a toothache and then it, it uh, went back down and went away, you will be checked. Your heart will be checked. I mean, th- those are common symptoms of having a heart attack. Of these people, As we mentioned, about half were aware of all five. 20% were unaware of the three most common, uh, and uh, 5% were unaware of any symptoms. And I think those were just people who just didn't want to answer the questions, I think. Being male, Hispanic, uh, born outside the U.S., being uninsured, and lower income and lower education associated with unawareness. And about 5% of people of these uh, people, 25,000, said if they were having those symptoms, they wouldn't necessarily call an ambulance. They would mosey and sashay on down to the emergency room rather than uh, being in any sort of hurry. Like Rick. Exactly. (laughs) You see how Shelly has become empowered by having her own show? Shelly? Yes. Watch it. Hey, I, I have a buffer now. Watch there, it. There's somebody between us. We've got Ben here to settle uh, arguments there. And since, uh, as he alertly pointed out, I control his grade, I think I'm in a pretty good position as well. And Shelly's feeling just absolutely ebullient over there. Uh, so we're doing all right. All right, next up, Ben, this was January 8th from CNN, and, and you may have seen it from many other outlets. The U.S. cancer death rate has the largest ever, let me say again, largest ever single-year drop. We dropped the cancer, overall cancer rate dropped 2.2% in one year. This is astounding. I, I mean, we had hoped to keep it level. We've seen kind of a gradual, slow, fractional percentage uh, decline, 2.2%. And the other encouraging thing about it is uh, the biggest uh, driver of this was a sharp decline in lung cancer deaths. I've got mixed feelings about this. I'm still not sure why. They had uh, two analysis. The author said, well, gee, we've got such great treatment for lung cancer now. And it has improved, but I don't think it has improved enough to cause a 2.2% single-year decline in death rates uh, uh, from all cancer. I mean, that's, that's asking a lot. We're not smoking as much. 
we are just beginning to detect lung cancer early. Just a reminder, if you've been smoking more than 30 years, quit less than 15, if you're ages 55 to 75, you may be eligible for lung cancer screening using a CAT scan. They pick the lung cancer up when it's still a small spot that can be removed surgically, and you are cured of your lung cancer. If you wait till you cough up blood, till you lose weight, till you can't breathe because your lung has collapsed, you will not be cured. And if we find it on that CAT scan, we can cure it. So maybe it's the new chemotherapy. Maybe it's smoking cessation. Maybe it is the screening. It's probably a combination of all three. But I, in this analysis, I couldn't tell what's really driving this. My worry, if it is the smoking cessation, is what we're doing is driving lung cancer down into the lower income levels. Smoking rates among people who are high school educated, on disability, uh, low income, are close to 50%, whereas even in the state of Kentucky, if you're college educated, uh, the smoking rates are down around 12%. You know, if, if in fact what's happened is uh, wealthier people, people who uh, uh, control the research purse strings, people who are uh, deemed important in healthcare, if those people have stopped smoking and lung cancer death rates drop, it may take our eye off the lower income people. I'll take it. You know, I'll take a drop in cancer death. But uh, I hope But it we're doesn't not. feel right that way, Tony. We, it'd be different if we lived in a state where everybody per capita, you know, we were wealthy. But, you know, I'm looking at statistics from a technology standpoint where Kentucky has the, near the worst broadband in the entire U.S. It is, I can't imagine how a Google or an Apple or anybody that had any technical savvy would want to move to Kentucky right now. What you're basically saying is we're doing better, but we're not. Right. If our policies we're, were, were equitable then the death rate would drop in all income groups. And they haven't really analyzed that. They just, they got the overall numbers. That's where I'm going to be looking. We know, you know, that it's harder for low-income groups to access health care, to get the chemotherapy and, and all these new uh, uh, treatments that they've got. We know also that the screening that with a CAT scan is going to cost money. If you don't have insurance or you're underinsured and you have a big deductible, you're not going to do that. Now, it is true. Medicare and the Obamacare insurances will pay for the screening entirely. They, they pay first dollar, but other insurances may not. It is possible for you to have insurance that would make you pay part of the, the fees for the CAT scan. But are there some insurance barriers as well if someone who maybe has some underlying chronic disease or they get an acute illness and they get a, a CT of their chest for some other reason? Doesn't that interfere with their ability to get the screening CT? Which could also affect the same population that you're that you're concerned about. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think the other thing is, if the screening CT says you should do something, at that point, doing something, uh, follow up uh, scans or, or tests, that's not free. But I mean, doesn't all this have a precursor to? I probably should meet with my family physician once every year or two. And do we do that in Eastern Kentucky? I mean, do we have enough family well, physicians? Well, yeah, in you, you know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm yeah. saying we're we're putting apples way. We're not even putting them in front of the cart. We're putting them a half a mile down the road in front of the cart. I mean, we got bigger problems. In, in my opinion, I mean, we can't just settle for the rates getting a little better and saying, "Oh yeah, we're doing good." No, Kentucky is a technology desert. And which means our education levels aren't high enough. It means our socioeconomic disparities are greater. There, there's a ton of things that just mean it is bad. And so I'm sorry, Tony. I'm going to rain on your parade down. I know. I, I, you, I'm always accused. You know, people accuse me. They say, you don't ever bring in any good news. It's always bad news. I bring in good news. The, let's, let's repeat this again. In one year, the single largest reduction between 2016 and 2017, the single largest reduction in cancer death rate in history, 2.2% 
plunge. CNN used the word a 2.2% plunge occurred. Meanwhile, I have gotten nothing but grief. I mean, I have reservations about this data. Uh, I'm wanting to see how it's playing out well, among see, the people that we let have me here offer in Eastern an alternative. Kentucky. Okay. Is the data bad, or are we finally, as a, as a group of people, a group of society, learning how to mine data correctly? Are we finally starting to be able to turn over rocks and look in the right places with the data to where now, all of a sudden, we've split this data up to where it appears as though we're 2% better? Is, is it a mining problem, or have we taken the exact same count last year, didn't change the numbers, didn't change the methods, didn't change anything, and said, you know what? Or, or did we refine the pool of data yeah. to get to a, a number that looks better? No, but you look at the, the things that drive this. One, better chemotherapy. Absolutely. We have something called checkpoint inhibitors that are just phenomenal drugs. Uh, it, why does a cancer survive your immune system? Why can't you wipe it out? It actually creates checkpoints that damp down your immune system. We figured out a way to stop it from damping your immune system and unleash your own immune system. Now, the early efforts, uh, your immune system could get overwrought, and, and you're, it could itself cause havoc, an overactive immune system. But we've refined the process now, and we can let your body go after the cancer where it is, which is a much better idea than chemotherapy. We do have more targeted radiation therapy. We have a screening program, although we're still not using it. The screening rates, about 5% of people who are eligible screen for lung cancer, whereas around 80% or more of people who have, uh, are eligible for breast cancer screening screen. Uh, so we've still got some work to do there. But we are screening. We do have better uh, uh, chemotherapy for all types of cancer, and our smoking rates have dropped. So the drivers are there. It makes sense that the cancer rate would drop. In my dreams, I hope it's dropping for everyone. In my waking mind, I'm worried that it is dropping for some people and not dropping for others. I don't well, it's have dropping that information. for people who go see their physician on a regular basis. But, I mean, again, I think there is a group of people in Kentucky that probably seeing their doctor all the time on a regular basis is not in their normal game plan. Cancer rate has been falling since 19— That's him moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 1991, as of 2017, lung cancer has dropped by 51% among men since its peak in 1990, 26% among women since its peak in 2002. Rate for female breast cancer uh, death rate fell 40% since 1989. Uh, death rate for prostate cancer fell 52% since 1993. Colorectal cancer among men dropped 53% since 1980. Colorectal cancer among women 57% since 1969. So again, these these death there's been a long term gradual decline in death rates, which has corresponded at least till recently in an increase in our life expectancy. Uh, but this was a dramatic acceleration of the improvement. Now that being said, the lifetime chance that you will be diagnosed with invasive cancer forty percent for men and thirty eight point seven percent for women. It's almost like. Cancer, if, if you live a good life and you get to old age, you, you, you get cancer. So you've heard only the good die young. I think only the cancer-free die young. <laughs> and if you live long enough, you're going to get it anyway. Um, that's pretty gloomy. That is pretty gloomy. <laughs> We're back to his typical. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I and I didn't have to help him there. He got there all on his own. I'm just sitting here thinking, well, that's that's true. If you get old enough, um, and I always thought, you know, uh, uh, I thought, you know, getting cancer, if you could make it to in your 90s and you you, you got cancer, well, that's a pretty good life. But um, the, the, the 
final few months may not be so hot uh, with cancer. I, uh, cancer not in anybody's uh, list of favorite ways to die. I've got a little bit of time left. I want to start something we'll carry over into our next fractional portion, okay? You promise? I promise. Uh, this was from, I, I got it from a, a Becker's Hospital Review, but also uh, picked up something from the L.A. Times as well. These were 12 milestones uh, of the 2010 to 2020, the last decade. Uh, did you pick that number? No, uh, absolutely okay. did not. And we're not going to get to all 12 because... Because uh, technically that's 21 years, but no, I'm not going to, you know... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 2010 gonna, to I'm sorry, it's 11 years. That's not 21, it's 11 years. Okay. But but that's okay. You go ahead with your decade thing. No, Mr. He likes to change the numbers on these <laughs> I, I, well, I know, I understand, but still, I mean, I mean Mr., we, we, kinda we don't, don't have the math infrastructure here in eastern Kentucky. Tony, Let's you just clearly subtract 2010 don't. from 2020 and see what we get. But, I mean, if you count 10 and you count 20, then you've got 11 years. So is it 10 to 19 or is it 11 to 20? The first thing that they were concerned about was the Affordable Care Act. That was signed uh, into law March 23, 2010. Uh, mostly took effect. So we're including 10. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in okay. uh, 2012. And just a reminder of uh, what this involved. Uh, employers were required to cover their workers if you had more than 50 employees. Individuals were required to purchase insurance, although that has finally been declared unconstitutional. Uh, the idea was you would have to pay a penalty when you paid your taxes, and the IRS was going to collect that penalty if you did not purchase insurance. Uh, required state-based or multi-state insurance exchanges. Kentucky did start an insurance exchange, but closed it because it was pretty clear it financially was not uh, viable. Uh, expand Medicaid to cover people with incomes below 133% of the federal poverty level. And, you know, at, at the time, uh, Kentucky had uh, our Medicaid population was uh, consisted of people who were below the federal poverty level. And uh, in many cases, they, they were parents. Uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, they had uh, proper health care coverage to raise their children. When we expanded our health care coverage in Kentucky, the majority of that expansion occurred as Medicaid expansion. This is the legacy of the senior Bashir administration uh, was that Medicaid expansion, a lifeline to rural hospitals uh, and uh, uh, a, a real a godsend to people in eastern Kentucky. Uh, we are starting to see Kentucky budging off the bottom of the uh, national measures of uh, health and of uh, health care. Uh, and we are we are going basically from 48 to 50. Uh, we're now up to 42 to 45. So we have made some progress. And I think uh, that Medicaid expansion made a big difference. A couple of very popular things. Uh, insurance plans covered young adults on their parents' policies up until age 26. And they out insurance companies are not allowed to cancel for uh, cancel insurance or uh, refuse insurance due to pre-existing conditions. Now, the Becker's people say, and I think this is so, this was audacious. It was passed with a, uh, a Democratic, uh, wide Democratic majority, both houses and the Obama administration, as we have more uh, of a two-party Congress uh, than we had at the time it was passed. They have steadily chipped away at it. The, the courts have also ruled certain elements. Uh, Obama wanted to compel the states to expand Medicaid and uh, instead had to uh, wind up just uh, paying the states extra because that was unconstitutional as well. So there were several parts of it that were unconstitutional. It has been eroded somewhat, but uh, it has produced, uh, uh, with Medicaid expansion, it has saved uh, rural hospitals and also um, has uh, uh, increased the number of people who are covered, uh, although obviously the next decade will bring uh, additional changes. So that was one of their big uh, uh, events of the past 10 years. 
Uh, we'll cover some of the others uh, in our next fractional portion. I, I do want to get to, uh, uh, they, they mentioned as one of their top ones, rural hospital closures, and there were several advances in medicine we'll talk about in our third and final fractional portion. Uh, meanwhile, though, before before we get into that, we we're going to need to take a break. Just you think? Yeah, uh, I, I've I've myself got to recover from being stunned. I forgot why I was. Oh, that Rick couldn't couldn't figure out what a decade was. I know that's an embarrassment for him. Pretty we'll sure the, I know what a decade is. We'll I get some do, counseling well, here in the. I break. took my it's shoes like off and age. confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you for our third and final fractional portion. You're listening to Health Matters on Morehead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at Saint Clair Healthcare in Morehead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back. This is the third and final fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Shelley Irving. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver. This is the Rise of Irving show. Gotta say I'm a little disappointed. Irving didn't rise very far. <laughs> What'd you expect? It's Irving. I mean, you know, there's only so much you can get out of that. Well, you know, I, I thought about this. Um, so many times, Rick, you have home movies, right? You have home movies your kids. Yes. Right? Shelley, did you do much home movies? We did like the, the little slide picture things yeah okay well i saw i saw a movie once upon a time in hollywood which is not a bad movie a lot of bad if you have three hours and are bored sure go ahead and watch it and they inserted the actors in that into vintage movies to show you know that that this this uh, fictional person that they had that was uh lived right next to sharon tate and and was involved uh, then with the manson uh, manson's cult they uh, inserted them into actual movies and i thought to myself you know wouldn't it be cool if you could go to a place where instead of having home movies or taking a picture of yourself posed on the steps of some building, what if you could just stick your kids into an actual movie where they would star in, uh, you know, again, Star Wars or... Uh, what uh, movie would like you that. choose? This is going to be odd. I happen to like The Parent Trap. Okay. Yeah. Would you yeah. put all three in the same same movie? Well... Or would they each get their own movie? Because I, I can see they, one of them being in Flipper. I have a daughter who's a marine biologist, uh, I think, <laughs> or, or Free Willy. <laughs> yeah, Free Willy. There you go. Willy. Well, I would let them choose. Now, that's the thing. You go into this well, place, and, the other one might and it like uh, your kids, say, they would say, which movie do you want to be a part of? And I think this is a lot of money. Now, I, unfortunately, I'm going to be fighting with Disney, and they do have the rights to the movies, so they're at an advantage. Not this, in my this. house, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we didn't hear that. <laughs> at any rate, uh, back to it, though, but that would be a, a thing to do rather than just to make a movie. You, you know what's funny is the sad thing is is probably in about 20 years you'll be able to do that. Yeah. You'll be able to, because, to, I mean, the movie's coming out today. What was the most recent one? Where they're CGI and almost everything in the movie, right? The, the, yeah. Either the human or the animals. Well, The Lion King, you know, looked very much like a real movie, but it was all CGI. Right. And we could put, we could make a movie, The Lion King and Ben, and we just put Ben in The Lion King. By the way, Ben, say hi. Ben Taylor, uh, RPLP third-year medical student from Tyner, Kentucky. Hey, and I'd prefer to be in Lord of the Rings instead. Yeah, he's the guy in charge of keep Hobbit. the... Uh, hey, believe me, there's nothing I like better than second breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> An idea there. Certainly a huge money-making idea I don't have time to work on, but uh, I'll pass it on. 
uh, just for a percentage of the profits to anybody who's entrepreneur enough how to figure out how to do it. Our sponsor for the final time, Heart Attack Symptoms, reminding you there are five symptoms that are commonly considered to be due to a heart attack. These are symptoms you should not ignore. Uh, number one, chest pain or discomfort. Uh, if you get chest pain or discomfort, and this is a symptom you've not had before, you are a person who is, uh, you, you, I mean, this can happen to anyone at any age, but if you get an uncomfortable feeling in your chest that you cannot explain, you get that checked out. That could be a very dangerous thing. We always, when a person comes in with chest pain, whether we think it might be the heart attack, whether uh, they're coughing and maybe they've got to, a respiratory infection, we still check the heart because the respiratory infection is not going to kill you, but boy, the heart sure could. So we want to make sure if you're having a heart attack that we find it and we take care of it. It is very treatable. You should do something about that if you have chest pain. Get that checked out. Second most common symptom behind chest pain is an unusual shortness of breath, different from you. You know whether you can climb those stairs rapidly or not. You know whether you can make it up to the top of the hill. You know whether you can carry that whatever you're carrying into the, the office. And if you feel more short of breath than usual for you, that's a thing to think about. Or if your shortness of breath doesn't stop when you get to the top of the stairs, that's a sign that maybe you're having a problem and you should get that checked out. The third one, pain or discomfort in the arm or shoulder. Fourth one, feeling weak, lightheaded, or faint for no obvious reason comes on suddenly. And number five, jaw, neck, or upper back pain also in some cases a sign of a heart attack. Remember those symptoms. Get yourself to the emergency room and this is not something you should drive the car or you should uh, go by the emergency room after you stop by the post office and you pick up the groceries. This is something you need to get to the emergency room immediately and you really shouldn't be driving the car and that's why people call ambulances. I know it's expensive. I know it's inconvenient but if you're having a serious pain you do not want to be found in a ditch trying to make it to the hospital emergency room. What a horrible thing I just said. That, yeah, it got real dark real quick. <laughs> 5% said if I had those symptoms, I would probably walk or take a, a tractor and drive that to the emergency room. Not the way to go. So that's our sponsor. Now we talking, we were talking last time about the 12 milestones from the Becker's healthcare editorial team from the 2010, I guess you call them the teens. I hate to say that, but this were the 2010 to 2020. I'm still trying to interpret what I'm going to say. I guess I'm going to call this 2020. 2020 just doesn't ring. The la the previous decade. Yeah, previous decade, 2010 to 2020, not inclusive, 10 years. Rick, don't waste my time. The first one they mentioned was the Affordable Care Act, a huge, huge impact on the health of our nation in the past 10 years. The effects uh, somewhat uh, mitigated, again, by parts of it that really weren't constitutional or parts of it that have been challenged by the legislature or attempts to repeal it. But uh, uh, there will be some parts of this that will stay, and we hope that Medicaid expansion uh, may be one of those parts. Second one they mentioned, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but the opioid epidemic ruled the uh, 2010 to 2020. Uh, just a couple of things to remind you. We, we had this problem with uh, uh, prescription uh, drug abuse and overprescribing of drugs uh, around, uh, it was in the uh, early 2000s when this really started to ramp up. In 2012, the Kentucky General Assembly passed House Bill 1, uh, and that was a, a watershed event in the state of Kentucky. It was really was, uh, uh, we thought at the time they might, might not even pass it. 
but it made it much more difficult to start a pill mill in the state of Kentucky. We have a a, a controlled substance registry. Uh, it's electronic. Anytime you get a prescription in the state uh, of Kentucky for a controlled substance, it goes into a data bank. Anyone who is prescribing can query that data bank and sh- is mandated to da- query that data bank before they give you medicine. So you can't get pills from four or five different providers uh, legally in the state of Kentucky. About the time we did that, the Florida pill mills, uh, everybody remembers them, uh, were peaking. 90 of the nation's top 100 opioid prescribers were in Florida. In fact, in one county in Florida, 85%, 85% of the nation's oxycodone was prescribed in Florida. We had uh, direct flights from uh, area airports uh, to go get your drugs. And that they weren't just prescribed, they were dispensed, correct? Yes, yeah. It was a drive through situation. Uh, you could get a, uh, uh, within, really within five minutes, uh, you could get a complete examination, the determination that you need large volumes of narcotics, the prescription for the narcotics, which you filled on your way out, and you were ready to fly back uh, with a boatload of narcotics. You could visit two or three of these places. Uh, they did not, uh, they had no registry. Uh, they did not check anything except, do you have enough money to pay for all these pills? It was it was a travesty. 500 million pills sold in Florida in the year 2010. 500 million. In 2016, more Americans died from drug overdoses than in the Vietnam War. The same year, the Health and Human Services Department declared it a national public health emergency. And at again in 2016, 99.2% of the total global hydrocodone consumption was in the U.S. We consumed 99.2% of all hydrocodone made in the world. Opioid overdose deaths fell first in 2018. We are starting to get a handle on this. The next thing they mentioned, besides uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act and opioids, uh, global health epidemics, Ebola, Zika virus, almost a quarter of a million cases in Brazil uh, led to uh, severe birth defects. Uh, Measles back in the U.S., and we had a sustained outbreak of measles in New York, uh, that almost cost us our uh, elimination status. We're considered to have eliminated measles, but we almost lost that. Uh, there's a certain amount of time, and I forget, it's so many months uh, with ongoing attacks before they say, yeah, you, you've got measles. Right now, it's uh, mostly still imported, but our vaccination rates are low enough it can uh, hang around. Um, the uh, vaping, uh, which was in 2019, uh, as of January 2020, 2,600 hospitalized cases, 57 deaths, uh, 82% uh, reported using THC, which is uh, the active ingredient. Do you mean they just started tracking in 2019 or, I mean, because vaping's been around for quite a while. Yeah, vaping's been around for a while. And there was, it was either Wisconsin or Minnesota, they noticed a a cluster. So they reported them. And after that, other uh, places started looking, uh, Rick. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, the uh, cases that happened before they became aware of it, and also some cases may not have been properly diagnosed, uh, 2,600 is probably a low number. Well, I mean, you know, I know for, you know, several years we've been kind of talking, I wouldn't say up, we've been talking down, you know, the, 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 you know, vaping process. I mean, it's just adding flavor to it. It's just, it just, it's, there's something wrong. Right. Well, this looks like that. It's uh, too good to be true. People who were vaping, essentially vaping marijuana, there was a, I think it was a vitamin E analog additive uh, that they put in uh, that, and that seemed to cause the problem. But I hope if you're thinking of a career in vaping, 
that you realize th- this 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 can happen again uh, with another product. We don't know enough about these things to inhale them in your lungs. Try not to inhale things that you don't know what they are. Well, I mean, really, when you're talking about inhaling things, isn't it best just to keep it to oxygen? Yep. <laughs> yep. As much- I mean, really, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it? Wouldn't the lungs prefer it be a 21%? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, this uh, uh, the Australian Open is about to start. And uh, with the fires in Australia, they're not sure that they can actually play tennis there. Uh, And you think, well, if they're worried about that, then somebody should be worried about setting fire to something and inhaling it uh, directly. Uh, Whether you vape it or whether you combust uh, the leaves, none of that's really a a good idea. Uh, So I I think uh, I I, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, think about when something that's like physical when you something goes down the wrong pipe and you're all of a sudden you like a seed goes down and all of a sudden you're in this massive coughing fit. I mean your lungs just don't like anything that's not oxygen, let's be honest. Yeah. Right. So uh, those were a couple of other things that they mentioned. They also mentioned healthcare spending hits three trillion dollars. The United States is paying three trillion dollars for our health. Do they ever normalize that for you know, over time? So I mean it's easy to say three point two, you know, trillion, but you know, the fact is, is in 1980, the dollar wasn't worth the same strength it is today. So do they yeah. ever normalize that? Sometimes those numbers kind of frustrate you because, you know, gasoline is at an all-time high. No, it is not. You know, gasoline, when it hit $4, it wasn't at an all-time high, right? It was high, It was much higher in the 80s when it was a buck eighty. Yeah. Well, it has, year after year, outpaced inflation. We had five years of low growth, but then in 2014, uh, it jumped. And you know, I mean, there's a lot of arguments about why it jumped. We saw the uh, drug companies uh, suddenly raise the prices of uh, drugs that had been dirt cheap. A, a, a pill that costs a nickel a tablet uh, suddenly goes to $10 a tablet. Uh, so we saw uh, the, them raise prices rather suddenly. Uh, new drugs were developed. New techniques were developed. Uh, hospitals are, are uh, getting wealthier. Uh, physician salaries certainly haven't taken a, a, any hits. Uh, and, and so there are a bunch of drivers of this. But uh, since 2014, we have consistently exceeded inflation. Uh, so I think the answer to your question is, is it is not like the other things where uh, uh, really they, the price is just uh, uh, natural inflation. This is, this is something that uh, I, economically I really worry about. Um, the next one they mentioned, rural hospital closures. Want to spend just a little bit of time with that. Uh, one in five Americans lives in a rural area, depends on local hospitals for care. 120 hospitals closed over the past decade. Uh, rural hospitals closed, sorry. Uh, 35 states have seen at least one rural hospital shut down since 2010, but the 14 states that did not expand their Medicaid system, out of the 120 hospitals, 101 of them were in those 14 states. So it's pretty clear. If you don't expand Medicaid, you might as well go well, I mean, down your hospital. I think it, what you're saying, Tony, is rural states live off of Medicare or Medicaid. Yes, Medicaid. Right. So if you don't have a solid Medicaid, you know, relationship, your your rural hospitals can't survive. So and, and then we saw that locally too. I mean, you know, yeah. a lot of the rural hospitals tend to do a lot of free care. I think under Obamacare, that's one of the things we said was good about the program is all of a sudden where we're doing, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of dollars in free care. 
now there's some revenue coming in for that free care. So it was it was really good for the rural hospitals. So again, but that's only obviously in a state that has a good uh, Medicaid right. plan. And and Kentucky actually is not bad. They have they have uh, managed to shore up their rural hospitals and done fairly well. Now what happens when these rural hospitals close? Well, you know maybe they're low quality hospitals. We should all go to a high quality hospital in an urban area anyway, right? The problem is, for example, they mentioned obstetric service. Fewer than half of rural women live within a 30-minute drive of a hospital offering perinatal services. Now, if you are pregnant and you have to drive an hour for one way for your doctor's visit... Um, are you? Are you going to? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, are you going to cut corners? Uh, and, and again, it's, I mean, this is and, no and, fun and, for any of us. And but it sounds easy on the radio, you know, like, no, you shouldn't, you should But the <laughs> fact is, is you're feeling healthy. Things are good. Maybe you didn't have any morning sickness. Maybe your mom, you know, maybe you're having a better experience than your mom and your grandma and all the people that are you're talking to in your family. You know, maybe there's a reason why you're led to believe that, eh, you know, I probably don't need to make that drive down to, to Lexington and in the dark and get back in the dark and, you know, deal with the, I can certainly see that happening. Yep. So I'll go with one more. Because you have plenty of time. (laughs) I know. I know. All right. Let me just run through this real quickly then. Employers challenge healthcare status quo. Uh, In 2019, the average annual premium for employer-based family health insurance grew to $20,500. Uh, that was the first time it was above 20000 So Amazon, Walmart, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Boeing, uh, and other large companies said enough's enough, and they've actually started uh, creating centers of excellence. They selectively refer their employees to certain uh, uh, health systems because that's the only way uh, they feel they can get their money's worth. And speaking of money's worth, you have gotten yours. Rick, can you please get us off the air? Special thanks to our Morehead State Public Radio producer, Shamari Mosley, and to Eric Bilber, who wrote our Health Matters theme song, and to you, our loyal radio fans. Remember to show your support for Health Matters by visiting our digital empire. To listen to the show, go to wmky.org, or visit us on Facebook just do a search for HM Radio Show. For our crew and the supportive folks at the Northeast AHEC, thanks for listening to our show. And remember, in many ways, Health Matters is similar to the new flu medicine, Zofluza. Over-the-counter medicines just treat symptoms, but Health Matters and prescription Zofluza work differently. They attack the flu virus at its source with just one dose. They can help you feel better in just over two days, but you need to listen to our show within 48 hours of your first symptoms. Health Matters and Zofluza work with just one dose. On the average, most patients felt better in 2.3 days versus 3.3 days with placebo pills. Prescription Zofluza comes in two tablets taken at the same time. Health Matters comes as a one-hour show, which you can listen to any time. Health Matters and Zofluza are safe for the treatment of the flu. In clinical trials, side effects with Zofluza were similar to or lower than placebo. Health Matters causes nausea and disgust, but symptoms stop when you turn off your radio. Zofluza is a prescription medication used to treat the flu in people 12 years of age and older who have had flu symptoms for no more than 48 hours. Health Matters is just a radio show for mature adults. It is not known if Zofluza is safe and effective in children younger than 12 years of age or weighing less than 88 pounds. Health Matters is definitely not safe for children. Please have mercy on your kids. Do not take Zofluza if you're allergic to Veloxavir, Marboxyl, or any of the ingredients of Zofluza. If you know what those things are, maybe you should just start your own drug company. Before you listen to Health Matters, tell your health care provider about all of your medical conditions, including if you plan to become pregnant. It is not known if Zofluza or Health Matters can harm your unborn baby. 
Whatever you do, do not take this stuff lying down. See your health care provider within 48 hours if you develop symptoms of the flu. Also, get out this week, make a healthy change in your life, and tune in next week for more exciting news from the world of medical research on Morehead State Public Radio. Support for Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org.